And it's kind of around the idea of navigating conflict and challenges. You see, navigating conflict or participating in difficult conversations is something that most of us would rather just avoid. Who loves conflict? Okay, some people, some of us run to conflict, right? Some of us run to conflict, but for most of us, we would rather just avoid it. And for decades, um, I'm, I'm sorry, and so, so we'd rather just avoid it, and, but done in love and trust, it can really lead to healing and stronger relationships on the other side of things. And what I wanted to share with you today is that for decades, the conflict and challenges that are happening in the larger denomination of the United Methodist Church, of which Rolling Plains is a part of, we are a United Methodist congregation, has not been necessarily impacting you at the local church level. We've mostly been able to shield you and protect you, Rolling Plains Church, from divisive conversations that are happening at the larger church and denominational level. All the while, we've been able to remain focused on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, which is sharing, saving faith in Jesus Christ, inviting people to the Jesus journey and discipling people in relational love, mobilizing God's church to reach a lost and broken world. We've advertised and shared all of what we're doing today with all of those things. And all of the while, doing all of this wonderful ministry, we've been trusting that our leaders of the United Methodist Church and the larger church capacity would continue to abide by our covenant, the Book of Discipline, and would also continue to abide by the Word of God and to hold the essential beliefs of the Methodist faith and therefore bring reconciliation and resolution to the denominational conflicts whenever those arise. Now, sadly, friends, I'm here to tell you that today, our denominational leaders have not cared for the many divisive issues uh, related to such things, and they've left it into the hands of each individual church to have very difficult and painful conversations that the larger church refused to care for over the course of several decades. So local churches have been, like ours, feeling the impact a little bit of this conflict, and at times it can feel a little bit divisive. That's because it wasn't cared for at the larger church level. Now, friends, here's the beauty of a conflict. The beauty of a conflict is that when crisis arises, it causes us to contemplate and reflect It causes us to rally around the foundation of what we believe and who we are and why we're here. And we've been having wonderful conversations and dialogues at the leadership team table and with many of you about who we are as God's church. And we've been reminded of our core values that lead to a vibrant, Christ-loving, Holy Spirit-empowered congregation. And the reality is, while the Christian faith and the local church is flourishing around the world. And I've been to some of these places in Southeast Asia. I haven't been to Africa yet, but I've been to Central America. The church is flourishing there, but it hasn't been the case for United Methodism and other mainline denominations in the American church. You see, the United Methodist Church has been in steady decline for the last 55 years. And the reason is, from what I've seen and experienced, is because we've wandered away from, we've drifted away from what we knew at the very beginning. We've drifted away from our Wesleyan Methodist teaching. That movement that that, that began in 1784 when John and Charles Wesley came together and formed the first Methodist church And they did so under the auspices of spreading scriptural holiness throughout the land. And sadly, from my observation, today's church has fallen into Wesley's great concern. Here's Wesley's great concern. 
He said, I am not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the form of religion without the power, and this undoubtedly will be the case unless they hold fast both the doctrine, spirit, and discipline with which they first set out. In other words, what he's saying is he's concerned that eventually we're going to forget the very reason that we exist. Now, friends, that echoes in a verse of Scripture in Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation chapter 2, the Bible reads this, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, I write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have, uh, that you have tested uh, those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Yet, the Bible says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. The formula to getting past this, he says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Friends, that is echoed in Wesley's statement and concern here about forgetting who we have been from the very beginning. And God's formula for that is to return to what we once were or once believed. So the echoes of Revelation 2 reverberate throughout Wesley's statement here that we've fallen away from our first love. We've fallen away from the person and work of Jesus Christ. And is it possible that an institutional church can settle for lifeless religious practice rather than, giving, rather than life-giving vitality in a relationship with Jesus Christ in the transformative power of the Holy Spirit of God? Friends, it's been my observation that many in our denomination have abandoned the very foundational beliefs and covenant that we agreed upon decades ago. I've personally observed, as have other colleagues and, and, and lay people in God's church, the result of this being clergy and laity and churches and bishops and even entire conferences who openly practice expressions of faith and advocate for expressions of faith that are contrary to our agreed-upon United Methodist Covenant Book of Discipline and are contrary to the Word of God itself and the call to transformational and holy living. You see, for many faithful traditional Methodists over the years, these defiant actions have caused great pain and has done harm. Now, a lot of us might assume, just like other people might assume, that the fracturing that's happening in the United Methodist denomination and other mainline denominations is a result of the differences over human sexuality. Now, while that topic grabs the headlines in our culture, that if we're honest, is hypersensitive to human sexuality more than it ever has been before, this is merely symptomatic of deeper issues. You see, the deeper issues being these. Some of our leaders, including our bishops, question the need to agree on who Jesus is, and in some cases, questioning the very incarnation of Jesus Christ, whether he is God-made flesh, whether he is deity. We can't disagree, we can't agree on Christ's claims to be Lord of all, nor can we agree on that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and even in some cases, whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin. Friends, these are not isolated incidences. These are happening regularly throughout the leadership in our denomination. Others diminish the authority and role of Scripture by placing higher value on personal experience, 
or no longer acknowledging the reality of sin and the consequences of sin and our desperate need for God's redemption. Still others yet are putting faith in the institutional church rather than a spirit-led kingdom ministry on mission for Jesus Christ. And we have become what Wesley feared, the form of religion without the power of which the writer in Revelation, John, on the island of Patmos, receives this revelation from God, says the formula for that is to repent and to return to our roots, return to the traditions of what we did at first, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, for a faithful future church, we must offer new and redemptive life in Jesus Christ from that old, old text that God has given us. In 2 Timothy, Paul reverberates that to his writing to Timothy. He says, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. In other words, hold on to what you learned and knew at first. And in in, in most cases, go back to that and return to that. So friends, what is this slow fade and how does that look practically? Well, the best way to describe it is is that for several decades, there's been a shift away from the most basic teachings and beliefs of the Methodist Christian faith. And this influence of this shift is unmistakable. And the best way to see it and to express it is that you have two United Methodist churches that can be on the same block, in the same town, in the same city, maybe even share the same sidewalk, And they both have entirely different theological teachings that are completely on opposite ends of God's word in most cases. We quote the same scriptures, we agree on the same covenant, but we live out two completely different expressions of faith, miles apart on essential beliefs and practices. So for me personally and for our family, when we travel, we do not look to a United Methodist Church to attend. And that's because, sadly, we don't know what kind of theological experience we're going to get when we go. It has become that diversified, friends. It has become that diversified. Paul is warning of a fade. He's warning of a fade. Now, I want to share with you in 1999, when I first had my experience with United Methodist Church, I was serving in a supervised ministry in my seminary education with Asbury Theological Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky. And my supervised summer experience was in Adams and Brown County doing flood relief. Do you guys remember the devastating floods that not only hit the Ohio side of the river, but decimated Falmouth, Kentucky? Remember those scenes? People's houses just flooded. The United Methodist Church was the only denomination to respond with a full-time missionary, fully ordained elder to serve the people's needs of Adams and Brown County to do flood relief for about a year or two. And I had the privilege of being his understudy for the summer. And that really launched in my heart a desire to become a part of the United Methodist Church as an ordained elder. I knew in that moment I wanted to be a part of the movement of United Methodism. Very quickly, uh, weeks later, when the fall semester started at Asbury, I met with Bishop Bruce O., who was then the bishop of the West Ohio Annual Conference. And he shared with me his vision for our conference. He talked about church planting. I got enthusiastic about church planting. And very quickly, I found myself serving a church in Dayton, Ohio in 2000 and planting a church there in my own hometown. I was in love with what God was doing in the United Methodist Church. And then I began to experience annual conferences. Since that beginning, I've attended no less than 23 different annual conferences as I've been involved full-time in the United Methodist Church for 24 years. 
And the things that I began to hear and to see and the predominant conversations that would come up every year were rather disturbing to me and many other clergy and church folk, as I found out. For instance, whenever pieces of legislation would come to the floor, there'd be about six or seven every year, two-thirds of those were advocating for lifestyle choices outside of the covenant of our book of discipline and also for God's word. Oftentimes, we would hear cries for social justice, but in the 25-plus years I've been involved in the United Methodist Church and the West Ohio Conference through two bishops, Bishop O and Bishop Palmer, who I have great respect for, I've never heard mention of the concept of abortion. In 25 years, it's never been dealt with, it's never been talked about, and that began to be disturbing to me and concerns. Other social justice issues that hit the local news headlines in those days were being dealt with, but some of those were not being cared for. The, the sanitization of the masculine form of God himself, being able to re refer to God as Father, or even acknowledge that Jesus was a, a, a male when he walked this earth, was being washed away and washed out on a regular basis. I could go on and on, and it very quickly drew concern in my life to the point where we are today. Many, many divisive issues. You see, friends, I had a, a coach of mine describe this to me um, before sometime last year, and I wanted to share this concept with you. What he said to me was interesting as I was painting away in my heart about, uh, about the conversations we're having as a church and the nature of disaffiliation from the United Methodist Church. And he, he, said, he said, for those of us who are still clinging to the United Methodist Church, we need to realize that it is no longer our grandmother's United Methodist Church. And that really stuck with me. And then there was a time where we were in a room full of people that were really wrestling with this idea of disaffiliation and, and the idea of actually leaving the current denomination that we're in. And that same coach in that moment brought great ease to the anxiety in the room and said, you're not leaving the church. That church has left you a long time ago. Friends, the church I knew in 1999 does not exist in my personal experience anymore. And so Paul warns of a fade. In 2 Timothy, he talks about it. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you stand fast, keep your head in all situations, and endure the hardship of having to do so. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Friends, here Paul is talking to the church 2,000 years ago of a fade. Why would we think we're exempt from that 2,000 years later? He is imploring his readers to stand firm in the word, to unashamedly offer a strong Jesus as Lord teaching and culture that recognizes that sin is real, that offers loving and gracious correction that leads to repentance patiently walking in grace with people on a journey of life change and transformation into personal and social holiness. Oh, he's challenging us, friends, to keep our heads and to stand firm and to not be moved, as he says in the book of Ephesians, and to not be moved by every wind of doctrine that comes blowing us from side to side, but to stay on mission, making disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, regardless of the conflict, we're not going to lose heart. Regardless of the challenges, we don't lose heart, friends. As we approach a difficult vote to disaffiliate, and we believe very soon our district superintendent is going to grant that vote, 
let us see God's opportunity to bring revival and renewal and a fresh wind to God's church and to Methodism. God and the Holy Spirit is in this and has been walking with us throughout this for the duration. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 suggests such things. And in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also be given life to your mortal bodies. Friends, if the Spirit of God can resurrect Jesus Christ, and if the Spirit of God can resurrect you in the power of Jesus Christ, then he can breathe new life into a dead sect of religion or broken conversations because, oh, by the way, our God is a God of a new thing. He's always in the process of doing a new thing. So here's three reforms, friends, to kind of wrap things up. Three reforms for a great revival and renewal in God's church. Number one, we need to refocus on Jesus. We need to refocus on Jesus. There's no other name by which people can be saved, and there is nothing more life-changing than to, have, than to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your personal Savior and Lord. He saves us from the self-destructive nature of sin and sets us free to live out his incredible purposes, and we give every part of our life to Jesus, taking on his character, taking on his uh, taking on his heart, taking on his, the very passion of God in our life. By the power of the Holy Spirit in us, there is this inward transformation that leads to an outward action and practice. Hebrews in the Bible says this, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who are we focused on? We're fixing our eyes, we're focused on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and we're gonna go back to once we, what we once did and we've forgotten our first love, then we go back to the pioneer of our faith. We go back to a foundational understanding of Jesus as Lord in our life and in our church, friends. He is our God. He is alive. He is raised from the dead. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he did everything that he said he would do. He announces grace and yet also says, go and sin no more. He is our Savior. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He has served us. He's transformed us. Friends, Jesus is our Lord. That's the first step towards a reform for a great revival and renewal. Secondly, we need to reclaim scriptural holiness. You see, the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, Old Testament and New Testament, all of it is the inspired word of God in, um, in, to inform us in our faith and to show us practices and habits that honor a godly life. It's God's instruction manual for living. So we don't read ourselves and experiences into the text. Rather, we read the text into ourselves and into our experiences. And so then when an attitude or action in my life experience is contrary to the word, I'm left with confessing my sin and repenting and receiving the grace and forgiveness of God in the redemptive power of the Holy Spirit to allow God to remove that sin from my life and to align myself with his word and take on his holy character. You see, we don't reimagine the word so it matches our attitudes and actions to suit our own desires and hear what we wanna hear and to tickle our ears. When we stray from the truth of the word, it leads to unsound doctrine. And that was a concept Paul talks about in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, in his letters to Second, First and Second Timothy. He talks about the reality that unsound doctrine was happening in the churches 2,000 years ago. And friends, it's been happening for 2,000 years since. And he's warning us of this. Here's the third piece to three reforms to a great revival. 
We need to reclaim a refocus on Jesus, reclaim scriptural authority, and refine our theology. There are such things as non-essential beliefs. And the beauty of non-essential beliefs is they give us room for diversity in theology, and that can be a very good thing. And so, therefore, we embrace our brothers and sisters that are Baptists or full gospel and Presbyterians. The list goes on and on. The only requirement is that as long as it's all about Jesus, we realize we're not the only valid church and we can support one another in Christian ministry. However, when churches allow essential beliefs, when churches allow essential core values to become non-essential anymore, it leads to a big tent religious pluralism that anything goes, that any and all ideas, any and all theology is welcome. And friends, that is counter to God's word in my humble experience of his word. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 is a glowing example of that. It says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Then it goes on to say, and many enter through it. That, that is the popular way of today, a broad road that leads to destruction. But God says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It is a refined theology. It is not a big tent theology, according to God's word. Without a strong, vibrant theology or theological understanding in the blowing winds of our culture, we won't know what we stand for. We won't know what we believe, and neither will the people coming to seek a home at Rolling Plains Church. Friends, for 152 years, Rolling Plains has a Methodist tradition. I don't know if some of you knew that or not. We celebrated uh, two years ago our, what is it, 150 years? By sesquicentennial something? I don't know the proper term for that. But 150 years ago, uh, uh, two years ago, we celebrated 150 years. And so for 152 years, Rolling Plains has been a Methodist church. Now, it first started off as a Methodist Episcopal church, and only in 1968 did it become a United Methodist Church. And so when you look at that, you say, we've been United Methodist for one-third of our existence. We've been Methodist Episcopal for two-thirds of our existence. And what really matters is that we remain Wesleyan Methodists. The front of the name is really what matters the least. Whether it's united or global or Episcopal, that's what matters the least. What matters is we hold on to our Wesleyan Methodist faith. You see, Methodists believe that Jesus is God-made flesh, risen and is alive, full of glory and forgiving us to transform us into who he's created us to be. Methodists, we believe in the authority of Scripture, embracing more than 2,000 years of biblical teaching. As Methodists, we believe in new birth of, uh, and the Holy Spirit of God that leads to a life of faith that warms hearts and changes minds and changes hearts. As Methodists, we believe in the daily renewal of the Holy Spirit that leads us to holistically loving God and loving neighbor and moving us to a loving care for our world, that we are on mission to spread scriptural holiness throughout the land and making disciples of Jesus Christ, friends. That's what we believe as Methodists. In the face of conflict, friends, if we seek the work of the Holy Spirit in the power of prayer, and you've been doing that in January. You've been going through a month-long season of praying and fasting. So proud of you as your pastor. Some of you have been giving up things that you've hold on dear to. And when, and when you've needed that thing, rather than turning to it, you've turned to God. You've been praying for the Holy Spirit in your life and your family in God's church. Praise be to God. You see, if we seek the work of the Holy Spirit in the power of prayer and fasting, and we faithfully live out these vital reforms, we could be headed 
towards a great and genuine revival of Wesleyan Methodism. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So friends, let me give you some just personal closing thoughts here. This does not mean the matter is settled. Friends, your pastor doesn't even get a vote. When the vote comes, I don't have a vote. I'm not a member of this congregation. I'm a member of our West Ohio clergy. And so this matter is not settled by me. It's not settled by your leadership team. It's settled by a vote. And you, if you are a professing member of the church, have vote. And I want to encourage you to vote your conscience. You may disagree with your pastor. That's okay. I love you anyways. And I pray that you still love me. We're not always going to agree on everything all of the time, but you do have vote in the matter. And I am hoping and praying that you will vote your conscience as the Spirit of God leads. But I felt it was my duty and responsibility as your spiritual shepherd and pastor to share with you my observations and experiences and conversations that I've had with many of you and many pastors and leaders in our denomination over the course of the last two and a half decades. Friends, it is my pleasure um, and it is our family's pleasure to have the ability to be your pastoral family. I love you with all of my heart. I hope it continues into the future. We have no desire to go anywhere but to be in loving uh, fellowship and community with you as God's church at Rolling Plains. So here's some action steps and we're gonna land a plane. Number one, let God reform your heart. Let's not be so busy reforming God's church that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to first reform us. Allow the Holy Spirit to reform your heart. Secondly, let God turn concern into excitement for his new thing. Usually if there's something brewing in our life that makes us uncomfortable, it's because God is kind of shaking us up and rattling us because he wants to do a brand new thing. And let's believe that he can do that, that, that very thing here. And then thirdly, pray for God to bring powerful revival into God's church, not just here at Rolling Plains, but into the United Methodist denomination, in Methodism around the globe, in, in the Baptist church, in the Presbyterian church, in the full gospel church. Let's pray for a Holy Spirit-filled, powerful revival that wells up from within God's church and pours out into the streets of local communities and, and neighborhoods and nations and around the globe. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Lord God, we thank you for conversations like this where we can just kind of share openly what's on our hearts. I thank you for all the conversations that many, many people in our church have been having with one another, that I've been having with them, and people in leadership have been having with one another. And Lord God, we thank you that we don't have to come to full agreement. Lord God, you teach in your word that even even your, your strongest leaders didn't always come to agreement. And Lord God, may we act like Paul and Barnabas that when we feel like we find ourselves incongruent with a brother or sister, that we can go our own way and do it in love, that we can do it in grace, that we can do it in truth, we can do it in mercy, and we can do it keeping our integrity about ourselves and welcoming concerns, welcoming differences of opinion, and Lord God, loving each other all along the way. Lord God, we pray that Paul and Barnabas would be a model for how we treat each other and care for one another and watch how certain parts of God's church in the denomination are gonna go a certain way and certain parts of God's church in our denomination are gonna go another way. And Lord God, we pray the power of your blessing over all and in all. And it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, friends,